Pastor Ryan, stay there for a second. So you said you, you just heard that song a few years ago? Well, uh, you know. That is one of the great hymns of the church. It is a few years. Okay, okay, it was more than a few years ago. So I grew up in Minnesota, which is Lutherland, the land of Lutherans. Do you know Martin Luther wrote that? You know that. Martin Luther wrote that. Martin Luther was a very courageous man. I would not agree with a lot of his doctrine, but in many things he was a courageous man. You would make a great Lutheran. All right, just, just kidding, just, just kidding. Take your Bible with me, turn to Psalm 27, Psalm 27 in your Bible. By the way, if you, if you like that song and like to hear that song over and over again, you can tune into the um, Missouri Synod radio station out of St. Louis, Missouri, the Lutheran station out of St. Louis, Missouri, and they play that song about every other song, I think, on that particular radio station. He's Pastor Monty, do you listen to the Missouri Synod station? I do because I love organ music, and they have a lot of good organ music on that particular station. Psalm 27, please, that is not an endorsement of the doctrine, by the way, just I like their music. Psalm 27 in your Bible with me. So I'm not going to ask you this evening to raise your hands, but I think there's probably a truth that I'm going to suggest tonight that for many of us, we could raise our hands. When we were younger, you say, Pastor, what does younger mean? Probably in our teen years, back in our teen years, and I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but I think most of you, unless you grew up in a home of abuse of some sort or, or great poverty, most of you had, as a young person, a certain level of positive hope about the world, and especially this, about your place in the world. Likely, when you were a young person, <laughs> you had a, a different view, maybe a different view from the view that you have now. And you may say to yourself, as you think back upon uh, that positive, hopeful, I may use the word idealistic view of life, you may look back and think to yourself, well, uh, Pastor Marty, that was when I was naive, but now I know better. May I say that that type of thinking is a half inch away from cynicism, which is something that is very deep. Now, it is true that as we learn about life, life tends to beat us up. Just by the way, as you grow older, as you grow older, there are things that enter your life that you would not have chosen, that you did not plan. There are circumstances and there are losses that you will suffer. That is just a consequence of getting older. That is life in a broken world. But there's a tendency for us sometimes to get stuck emotionally in that to the point where we lose something that is very significant in Scripture, and that is the word hope. That is the word hope. It is unfortunate that I think at a much earlier age than ever before, young people are beginning to have a dismal view of the world. They're being taught that in many places today, especially in secular higher education, that emphasis upon how bad the world is or how bad the country is, how fundamentally evil the country is. By the way, did you hear about, did you hear about pumpkin spice? Did you hear about that? I read an article by a professor, university professor, you gotta go to school a long time to get this dumb, uh, who said that uh, pumpkin spice was racist. What? 
What? And that it's important that we understand that. I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I like pumpkin spice. I don't like it everywhere, though. Does it have to show up everywhere? It doesn't have to show up everywhere. I like plain black coffee, but there's some things good that are pumpkin spice. We've, we've been given this idea that every, everything is so negative that we begin to view the world through a negative lens. And quite frankly, we lose hope. And then for the Christian, and this is where I want to really focus for a moment. For the Christian, then, there is this sense, well, Pastor Monty, our hope is heaven. If you're saved tonight, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, heaven is your hope because heaven is your home. That is a legitimate hope. Well, Pastor Monty, I just can't wait to go to heaven. So sometimes we sing about it. We'll sing the little song, there's a land that is fairer than day. You know that little song, and, and we think about heaven. Sometimes we sing the song, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And we think about heaven, and all of those things, or the song, we sing this sometimes, when we all get to heaven, sing the wondrous love of Jesus when we get to heaven. Those are wonderful songs, they're Bible songs, and certainly heaven is our hope. However, does the Bible say that our only hope is in the future and our hope is not now? In other words, listen carefully, is this life truly hopeless? The answer to that is no. Now there's another thing that we hope for. It is the blessed hope of the church. <laughs> you say, Pastor Monty, what is that? That is the return of Christ in the rapture. That is that moment when the dead in Christ rise, the trump of God sounds, the dead in Christ rise. We which are alive and remain are caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. That could happen at any moment. The trumpet could sound. And in the world as messed up as it is today, and I'll tell you folks, it's messed up. It's messed up. By the way, God's in control. God's in control. I believe in the sovereignty of God. This coming week, a number of folks from our church are taking a Bible land tour, uh, Journeys of the Apostle Paul. And I've had so many people today, Pastor Monty, what, what do you think? Is, is it going to be safe? Is it going to be okay? You know what? I know it's safe and okay. Do you know why? I am held in the hand of God. Everyone on that trip is held in the hand of God. I'm not worried about that. Will you say, Pastor Monty, what if, what, if, what if you go out at the hands of terrorists and they make a horrible video about you? You know what? That would be kind of dramatic. It's better than cancer. That would be kind of dramatic. And, uh, and you say, Pastor, come on. No, no, I'm, I'm serious. Plus, if you die as a martyr, the Bible says you get more. Martyr's crown, remember martyr's crown? I wouldn't mind having a martyr's crown to throw at the feet of Jesus. You say, Pastor Monty, you're morbid. No, I'm realistic. The truth of the matter is this. There is the providence of God that holds all of us in his hand. And his timing is always perfect for all of us. But we talk about the rapture. Because the world is such a mess, we say to ourselves, Jesus, please come. And we do legitimately and correctly pray the prayer of the Apostle John, even so, come Lord Jesus. What a great prayer. That's a great prayer. But is that our only hope? If the Lord should tarry his coming, the question is this, is there not hope for us tomorrow? Is there not hope for us the next day? So listen to me. I want everyone to focus on me. I refuse to live my life only with the hope of heaven. And only with the hope of the rapture, though those two things are very biblical and very good, and they should be part of our hope. But I think there should be hope tomorrow. I think there should be hope the next day. I think that there should be a stream of hope 
that floods into my heart even though I have walked through deep valleys, even though I have suffered loss, even though I have been beat up by the world over the years just because that's what the world tends to do, I think there should be an answer and a way to hope. Now I want you to listen carefully. I'm going to give just a small answer from Psalm 27 in a moment. But I want to make a recommendation. And, and for some of you who are writing stuff down, I really ask you to write this down. I, when I was uh, on my hunting trip shooting chickens in the woods, which, by the way, was very successful. Those chickens are called grouse. They're delicious. You say, Pastor Monty, what do you do? They're one of the best things you can possibly hunt. Any deer hunters in the room? Any deer hunters? Sure. You know, I, I love shooting a deer. I don't like cleaning the mess. Okay, it's just disgusting to deal with the mess. I don't, I don't enjoy that. But boy, with a grouse, it's different. It's a wonderful thing. You shoot a grouse, and then all you have to do is put it on its back and step the right foot on one of its wings, the left foot on one of its wings. You bend down and take it by the, by the legs, these little grouse legs. They're just little grouse legs. You bend down, you take it by the legs, and you gently pull and that's how you clean it. And, and all the bad stuff goes away and separates from all the good stuff and very little use of a knife. It's, it's wonderful. Dolores, you're looking at me like I'm crazy, but it's wonderful because it just kind of cleans itself. You, then you just dip it in the lake and throw it in a frying pan. It's wonderful. It, it works out great. Actually, you deep fat fry them. How many love deep fat frying? I'm telling you what, when you're on the keto diet, Unlimited deep fat, folks, because fat is where it's at when you're on the keto diet. And, uh, and so deep fat fry those things better than anything that uh, Chick-fil-A ever dreamed of. But when I was on that hunting trip, I was getting so carried away, I was almost forgetting where I was going. When I was on that hunting trip, I had someone, a pastor friend, had recommended to me a book. And I love it. When this particular pastor friend, when he recommends a book, I always buy it and read it to my great benefit and the book he recommended is this, and I'm recommending it to you right now. It is a book called Hope is the First Dose. Hope is the First Dose by Dr. Lee Warren. Dr. Warren is actually a, uh, a neurosurgeon, okay? He does surgery of the brain, very complicated. He's written a number of books. Dr. Warren is a Christian, and throughout the entire book, he uses the scripture and he uses it very well and very accurately. And if you've gone through time, so we've had some church members that have lost loved ones. We've had some people who've gone through some really, really difficult times in the last year or so. If you find yourself in a bit of a funk or inability to get out of that, part of that is because of your thinking. Now, I want to pause here and say something. There is always a process that goes from, from grief and loss into feeling better. There's always a process. You cannot just snap your fingers and instantaneously feel better after a catastrophic life, uh, loss in your life. However, there should be a progression from the darkness of the loss to the light of hope, even when that incident has changed your life. And if there's no progression there, if you're stuck, then we're probably focusing on things and thinking wrongly, unbiblically, by the way, in such a way that keeps us stuck. So I'm never telling someone, oh, you know, you, gotta, you went through a hard time, just get over it. I would never say that to someone, ever, ever, ever. But there should be a progression. 
And Dr. Lee Warren's book, Hope is the First Dose, I highly recommend it. It tells a story, I won't give the whole thing away, but tells a story of his personal loss and how he as a Christian, a great deep loss, and how he as a Christian struggled through that time and found God's word is sufficient. Okay, so, so the question is, how do we find hope? I'm going to give you three major concepts and then I'm going to focus in on just one of them tonight. Psalm 27, Psalm 27. We do not know a specific background for the writing of this Psalm. David went through a lot of troubles in his life. He had made a lot of enemies. But Psalm 27, verse number one, we're going to read the first three verses and then we're going to give one word and I'm going to talk about it. Psalm 27, verse number one. David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. By the way, that's a good place to start. Believing something. We'll get there in a moment. The Lord is my light and my salvation, not my circumstances, not the blessings, the Lord himself as a person, as our God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Doesn't that change everything when you put God in perspective? Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If that's really true, then fear is a liar. If I remind myself of my relationship with the Lord, fear is a liar. If I remind myself that God holds me in the hollow of his hand, that there is not one thing that can enter my life except it were allowed by God, fear is a liar. Every time someone pushes, promotes fear, they are lying. God holds us in the hollow of his hand. Verse 2, <clears throat> David says, When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, to consume my life, they stumbled and fell. He said, Pastor Monty, if you're being attacked, isn't there a sense of adrenaline? Of course there is. But David said in all of the times he faced the adrenaline rush of attack, the enemy stumbled and fell. And so he concludes from that in verse number three. Though a host should encamp against me, a whole army is encamped against me. My heart shall not fear, though war should rise against me. Note the next phrase, in this will I be confident. I want every eye to look here. God desires us in the midst of whatever calamity we face, whether it be a loss, in David's case, it was the animosity of many. We don't exactly know the specifics, but we know from his life he faced a lot of enemies. Regardless of what calamity we face, God wants us to walk through that with a sense of confidence, confidence. Now. A moment ago, I recommended a book. I think it's a book that will help you. It is a book that personally enriched me. I'm in the process right now of going through the book and taking notes. I read the whole book. I underlined all kinds of stuff. I do that with my books. I mark them all up. If I, you'll know if I like a book. If I've marked it up, I really like that book. I've underlined it. I've marked it up. Now I'm going through and systematizing some things and taking some notes on the book. It's an excellent book. You say, Pastor Money, why, why would you recommend this? Because I think... Something like that can take you from fear to confidence, listen carefully, because it inspires hope. Now I want every eye on what I'm saying. Your answer is not 
found in a therapist. Not against therapists, okay? Some of them. Some of them I'm against. Some of the whack, the whack jobs I'm against, okay? I'm not, I'm not for them. But cognitive behavioral therapists, they're okay. For the most part. For some part. But what I'm suggesting is this. Do you know that your help and your hope resides within you because of Jesus Christ? I hope you heard what I said. It doesn't just reside within you because of you, because if I was looking to myself for my own help and hope, I'd be in trouble. But it also means this, that I have to be willing, and please listen carefully, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give you something tonight. I have to be willing when I'm struggling to take the bull by the horns and figure it out from the word of God. That's what I need to do. Now I'm thankful for a number of Christian authors who have taken the word of God, like Dr. Lee Warren, and has put together a book that helps us to see it, and then he has taken the principles of Scripture and put them into real-life circumstances. I'm thankful for that because it makes it very workable for me, but listen carefully. I have to be the one to work it. This sermon does no good if you don't work it. A book does no good if you don't work it. And it is unfortunate there are some people that want their problems solved, but they want them solved in just a quick word of prayer or a magic wand or one counseling session, and it usually doesn't work that way. It usually takes a lot of thought and frankly, listen carefully, changing the way I think to align with the Bible in order for things to correct themselves over time in my life. What I'm offering you is not an instantaneous thing, but David said this, my fear became confidence. So confidence is the first word. Then I want you to notice the next word. I'm going to give it to you in advance so we can read quickly through. Relationship. Relationship. I have confidence, verses one through three. <laughs> then David said, I have a relationship. A relationship with who? A genuine, real relationship with God. Now apart from that, you can chase down any level of peace, any attempt at peace, any attempt at hope, any attempt at joy, but I'm going to tell you, apart from a real relationship with God, all of that will come up empty. Look, if you will, verse number four. One thing, David said this, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This was not David saying that I want to be in the place of corporate worship every day, 24 hours a day. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want to be in an attitude of worship that mirrors the presence of God just as I would see him in the tabernacle. Look at verse number five. He says this because in the time of trouble, he, God, the Lord, shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me up upon a rock. Walking so close to God that every day is sacred. Walking so close to God that every day is worship. Walking so close to God that every day is a continual conversation in prayer. David is using the language of relationship. Verse six. Now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises to the Lord. Lifting up praise to God even in the midst of darkness. Remember how it started out. He had a lot of enemies. 
He was surrounded by problems and by people. Now he says, I'm going to lift praise. I I put God as a priority. I recognize God as a protector. I understand that God is my promoter, verse 6. My head shall be lifted up. God will answer my prayer. Look at verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. That's a real prayer life. That's a real prayer life. So, so the problem is, a lot of us want to go it alone in life, and then when trouble happens, we want to pray a quick little prayer in the hopes that God irons out all the wrinkles. And when he doesn't, we get disappointed. David is not speaking here about a 911 call to heaven. David is speaking here about a daily relationship that is so real and so vital and so genuine, where he walks with God every day (coughs) that he senses that God will answer his prayer. He notices in verse number nine, by the way that God will be patient with him. Look at verse number nine. Hide not thy face, David prays this to God. He says, hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. If anyone knew God's grace, it was King David. And I won't rehearse all of that again. We covered that some time ago. But if everyone, anyone knew God's grace, it was David. And David prayed, Lord, you've been patient with me in the past. Be patient with me now. By the way, God is patient. Pastor Monty, I've, tr- I've pressed his patience too much. I doubt that. I doubt that. God is a patient God. God is a gracious God. God delights in mercy, and David knows that. Not only God as a patient God, but God as a parental God. Look at verse number 10. When my father and my mother forsake me, there's an end to human relationships. Here it almost sounds like David is saying his parents when they turn their back on him. And for some people, maybe in this room, that could be a reality, but maybe they forsake you because they go on in death. Every human relationship is temporary. The most important, the most valuable of human relationships on this side, it is all temporary. But verse number 10, David says, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. And in a way, as a parent, he says, teach me thy way, O Lord. Lead me in the plain path because of mine enemies. He speaks of God as a parent. He also, by the way, speaks of God in his providence. Look at chapter uh, 27, Psalm 27, pardon me, verse 12. He says in his prayer, deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. God, you run the show. Now, back up. I said the first word is confidence. The second word is relationship, and you can break down that section of Scripture and see all the aspects of David's relationship with God and compare it to your own. Now, the third word is this, believe. I'm going to spend a moment on this word, believe. David had confidence and not fear. David had a genuine relationship with God. Everyone in this room knows that his relationship with God had some ups and downs, but it was real, and it was something that came from the heart. It wasn't just showing up at church or at the tabernacle of David's time. No, it was something that came from the heart. 
But in verse 13, there is a secret that I think we forget sometimes as Christians. It is something, by the way, that is germane and essential in the New Testament, and that is the word belief. Look at verse number 13. David says this, I had fainted unless I had believed. I want you to stop there for a moment. I had fainted if I didn't believe. I would have fainted. I would have failed. I would have sunk into depression. I would have gone into a place of cynicism. I would have gone into great darkness. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I want every eye up here. Not the goodness of the Lord in relationship to heaven. Not the goodness of the Lord in relationship to the rapture, though those things are all true. But very specifically, in the moment of calamity, in the moment of great loss, in the moment of trial, David is saying, I had fainted (laughs) unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord, note the next words, in the land of the living. Folks, let me tell you something. My hope is heaven, but it's not just heaven. My hope is the blessed hope of the, retur- of the church, the return of Jesus, but it is not just the rapture. My hope extends from today to tomorrow because of God. I can have confidence and not fear. I have a relationship and walk with him, and he is real, and I believe in some things. And I want us to focus there for a moment because belief is an action that moves you toward hope. That might be a good thing to write down. Belief is an action that moves you toward hope. In verse number 13, he talks about the inevitability of fainting. I had fainted. In other words, I would have fainted. It would be inevitable to faint. In life sometimes it gets so heavy and so dark and so confusing and so sad that it would be very easy to become overwhelmed by it all. David said he was there. We don't know if he's talking about the persecutions of King Saul and his running all around the Judean countryside and the wilderness of En Gedi. We're not sure about that. We're not sure if he's talking about the time in his life when he went from cave to cave to cave hiding in fear. We're not sure if he's talking about the times that the Philistines were at war with him or later his son Absalom rebelled against him and he actually lost the kingdom for a period of time. Not sure what time period we're talking about. But here is a man who knew what it was to be overwhelmed. And being overwhelmed was real and he said, I would have fainted, I would have quit, I would have given up, I would have just stopped and let life roll over me, except for one thing. I believed. There's the inevitability of fainting. In that verse, there's also the intervention of belief. Unless I had believed. Now, I want every eye up here. Every eye up here. This is going to help somebody tonight. I know this is going to help somebody tonight. I know it. Okay. It's past money. You can't imagine what I'm going through. I can't begin to imagine it, nor would I ever minimize it. But can I tell you something? You will get through it to the place of hope if you believe. Well, Pastor Monty, I believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm not just talking about that. If you believe that God is good, not just in the future, but now, 
If you believe that there is a God in heaven who orchestrates things in life so that we are never given more than we can bear, that we're not tempted or tried above that which we are able, but with the temptation or the trial, God makes a way to escape that we may be able to bear it. If in the darkest of night you believe that there is hope because of Jesus Christ, and listen carefully to me, hope in the land of the living that will make all the difference in the world. Now, I did not say it'll make life easy, because life isn't easy, folks. I did not say that it will turn all of the darkness into a brilliant light, but I did say it will keep you from fainting. David said, I had fainted unless I had believed. So the inevitability of fainting, but the intervention of belief, but now I want you to see this further. I had fainted unless I had believed, note the next two words, to see the goodness of the Lord. There's an importance in seeing. Well, Pastor Marty, I, I, I believe. Let me ask you a question. Are you looking for the evidence? Now let me teach you something about your brain. Your brain and my brain are negative. We are, they're just negative. We tend toward the negative. We all do that. We do that every day. You could have ladies, for example, you could have 10 other ladies this morning in church. You wear that beautiful new dress that you bought down at Marshall's. Not Marshall Field, that's too expensive, but Marshall's, you know Marshall's. You bought that beautiful dress down at Marshall's and, you, and there are 10 ladies in the church said, oh, that, that dress looks great on you. Wow, what a great dress. That dress is beautiful. And one lady said, huh, is that a new dress? And you smiled and you said, yeah, it's a brand new dress. And, and then she looked at you and she said, do they make that in your size? Now let me ask you a question. Are you gonna remember the 10? Or are you gonna remember the one? You're gonna remember the one and you're probably gonna smack her. Or at the very least, say something bad about her behind her back, at the very least. See, the truth of the matter is we're bent toward negativity. So here's what the mind does. When the mind is bent toward negativity and darkness, the mind looks for evidence. Now, what I'm telling you, by the way, is medically and scientifically legitimate. The mind looks for evidence of the negative and the darkness. And so then the mind puts all those things together. They're not even related things, but the mind puts all of those things together, excluding all of the good, and weighing in very heavily on all of the bad. And so all of a sudden, you can't see anything as good, it's all bad. And all of a sudden, <laughs> you view a person differently. And the, the way that they, they may approach you in all innocence and say something, and you read into that. Because the mind is constantly looking to be justified that it is right. And the problem is we look for bad evidence, negativity. But what did David say in the Psalms? David said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord. Do you know what I need to train my mind to do? Look for the good. Look for the good. Hey, it's Pastor Monty. I, there, there's, I, I was reading Fox News. There's no good. Stop reading it. <laughs> Look for the good. You're an American. There, you are drowning in good. I sometimes think when we stand before the Lord, we're going to have a lot to answer for because we're whiny babies and we're blessed beyond 99% of the world's population ever imagined being blessed.
But we have to look for the good. We have to say, God, you're good to me because tonight I'll go to bed in a house that, that has heat. I don't know if it's cold enough for that yet. Is it cold enough for heat? How many think you should turn your heat on now? Amen, I'm with y'all. I like being cold. I'm with y'all. You'll go to a house tonight and turn on the thermostat. Boom, there's heat. You don't have to build a fire somewhere and cuddle up and cozy up to it and get your sleeping bag catching on fire and <laughs> burning in the middle. Of it. You don't have to do any of that. You know what you're going to do? Leave this auditorium, you'll get into a car. Pastor Monty, my car is not the nicest car. It's still better than 99% of the world has. You ever thought about that? If we would start looking for the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, it would open our minds to how much we're blind. Well, Pastor Monty, it doesn't solve my problem. I didn't say it would. But you know what it does? It, it makes the scales more even. Because when all you do is look for negative evidence about life, all of a sudden the negative side goes, whoom, way down. It's weighted down with negativity and it's easy to find. But when I start looking for the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, all of a sudden the scale in my mind starts to even a little bit. And pretty soon if I'm really looking for the goodness of God, I begin to see the goodness of God in unexpected places to where the side that is negative is lighter and the goodness is heavier because I'm thinking about looking for God. I believe some things and I believe to see the goodness of God. I look for evidence for good. I quit looking for contrary evidence that goes against my belief. Because ladies and gentlemen, God is good, and he's good all the time. I quit focusing so much on the bad circumstances, and I start looking for the good. Does everyone see this? Now watch. This did not solve your problem, but it took you from a constant gather evidence for negativity and darkness to steps towards seeing God and light. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the essence of hope. There's the importance of seeing, I love this, and I've kind of pointed it out, there's the immediacy of goodness in the land of the living. So I know, I love the song. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar, for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. I love that little gospel song. But you know what? My hope is also in the land of the living because God is good. People don't just want to have a hope for something that's way down the pike somewhere, but people want to have hope tomorrow. Do you know what? I have hope tomorrow because God is good, because God has given promises, because I will be inundated and am every moment of my life by evidence of the goodness of God. It is an immediacy of goodness. It is not just a future goodness. It is a promise of goodness now, and every one of us is bathed in that. You say, Pastor Money, what should I do? Well, I need to believe, and I need to believe to see by looking for the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living because he said that it is there, and then I need to understand that that goodness is immediate, and then I need to do something interesting, and I'll close with this. Look at verse number 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor Monty. Sounds like this is a process. You got it, baby. It's a process. 
Oh, wait a minute, Pastor Mike. I, I just think that God should step out of heaven and correct everything that's wrong. And if God can't do that in the next five seconds, I don't believe in, in him anymore. There's no skin off God's nose if you don't believe in him anymore, but it sure will cost you a lot. Let's just be honest about it. God says there's a time to wait. Now, listen carefully. That means that when I've gone through something catastrophic, hurtful, a great loss, whatever it may be, that means that I'm not going to instantaneously feel great. Not going to do that. There's this preacher that has long hair and he kind of wanders around saying, everything is wonderful, it's all wonderful, it's all wonderful. It's not. It's not. But do you know what there is? There's a God in heaven who says, wait and I will strengthen your heart. But, but wait, it's not just a matter of hanging out. It's a matter of waiting on the Lord. Do you see that? So, so here's what we're giving you. You believe in some things, and your belief directs you to look for, to see the goodness of God in the land of the living, and you keep doing that day by day, patiently, you're waiting on him, and God reveals himself more, and watch what you're doing. You're going from darkness, one step at a time, into the light of God. You're going from the pit of despair, one step at a time, and they might be real small steps, but you're going from the pit of despair, one little step at a time, to hope. And all of a sudden, where there was nothing but darkness before in a tunnel of life that maybe you have been in for years, you begin to see light at the end of that tunnel. Ladies and gentlemen, the goodness of God exists not just in heaven. The goodness of God exists in the land of the living. Pastor Jeremy, may I pick on you for a moment, and I'll close. Some years ago, you got that news about cancer. I've told the church this before. He called me, I was in an airport, so I think I was in Texas or something. I was in an airport somewhere, and he told me about his cancer. I just started crying in the airport. Because Pastor Jeremy, in my book, you were a dead man. I didn't tell you that, did I? My bedside manner is better than that. But in my heart, that's what I was thinking. And you were pretty stunned by the whole thing. And the next day, you called me, and you said, hey, I'm gonna fight this thing. And your whole demeanor had changed. And I said, yeah, Jeremy, fight it. And in the back of my mind, I'm the pastor, right? I'm not supposed to think this way, but I'm a human being too. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, it's been nice knowing you. <laughs> Wish I could have known you better. And every day I talked to him. Now, he went through ups and downs. You went through hard times. Anybody would facing what you faced. But you know what? Overall, I got from him hope. And every time we talked, there was hope. And he pursued. I mean, we're, folks, we're talking about what stage colon cancer? Fourth stage colon cancer that had spread to this man's liver, and doctors in Wyoming would not operate on him, okay? Okay, that to me, that to me, you say, Pastor Monty, what are you going to do if you get that diagnosed? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going off the keto diet, and I'm going to eat all the carbs I want. <laughs> I'm going to gain 50 pounds. <laughs> he didn't do that. Because rather than sink in the depths of despair, he embraced hope. 
And I watched him over a period of time, step by step, go from darkness into light, because every day he looked for the goodness of God in the land of the living. And there are times he'd call me, he'd say, Pastor Monty, the Lord, the Lord did something so neat, neat for me. And then he'd tell me something that was so commonplace to me that I never even thought of it as a blessing. He said, the Lord did, and, and, and I'd, wow, I'd get off the phone, I'd feel convicted, I'd feel this high when I was done talking to this man, when I'd hang up the phone, I'd feel that high. I'd be so under conviction because he believed God and he looked for the Lord in the land of the living and he waited patiently on the Lord. Pastor Jeremy, you're an example to me and an inspiration to me of someone who went through very, very deep water and who did exactly what David said to do in Psalm 27. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Father, I pray that something in the message would help someone tonight because we can have confidence and not fear we can walk in relationship with you. And then, Lord, we can believe. And Father, we can believe to see, rather than staring at all the negative evidence, we can throw that all away and start looking for the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Father, please encourage someone, help someone to take the message tonight as a lifeline. Help them, Lord, to see that you are good and you are God. And I pray that they will take a step, an action, that they will take a movement toward hope. Bless this thought, we pray in Jesus' name. Stand, please.